Well, it's a brand new week. Can you believe it? On to episode three of Mountain Bike Talk SA. My name is Brad Brown. Thank you for joining us uh, this week. Uh, got a pretty interesting show lined up, I must say. I caught up with uh, a colleague of mine who you'll definitely recognize his voice as soon as he starts chatting, uh, Gerald de Kock. Uh, Gerald has probably got one of the most glamorous jobs I have ever heard of in my life. He gets to go to all the best cycling events uh, around the country gets to experience what uh, the riders experience and if anybody knows what races you should be riding uh, from a South African perspective Gerald is the man so I quizzed him on some of the best races here in South Africa we also chatted uh, extensively about the upcoming uh, world champs that are happening in Peter Maritzburg at the end of this month so if you want to find out who some of the contenders are who to look out for for possible medal chances uh, as far as South Africans go Gerald uh, gave us the lowdown on all of that. Also chatted to Caroline Smith, who is a dietitian uh, and a sports nutritionist and uh, got a very big interest in mountain biking. We chatted to her a little bit about uh, what you should and shouldn't be doing as far as uh, nutrition goes when it comes to a mountain bike. It was just a general sort of overview, but a really nice uh, sort of base to work off of. Uh, and we'll definitely revisit some of the topics we chatted about in the very near future here on Mountain Bike Talk SA. And then I also caught up uh, with uh, Kevin Davey, who is a fascinating mountain biker, uh, and he has done an incredible ride across South Africa and has written a book about it. So I caught up with Kevin. We chatted all about his mountain biking exploits and adventures, uh, and that's all coming up on this week's show. Don't forget as well, if you'd like to be in touch with us, you can. You can pop me an email, podcast at mountainbiketalksa.co.za. It's mtbtalksa.co.za. You can follow us on Twitter, MTB Talk SA. That's the Twitter handle. Or you can like us on Facebook as well. Just go to facebook.com slash MTB Talk SA. Let's get straight into today's show. Well, with the World Mountain Bike Champs coming up end of the month uh, in Peter Maritzburg, uh, you'll recognize his voice instantly if you watch any sort of mountain biking events on television here in South Africa. It's an absolute pleasure to have Gerald de Kock on Mountain Bike Talk SA this week. Gerald, thanks for, for taking the time to chat to us. I wanted to touch base with you. Obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a big sort of event happening in our own backyard end of, end of this month. And, and we've got some really good contenders who have got, got great chances at medals, don't we? Well, I mean, Brad, thanks uh, for having me here. It, it, it's an incredible uh, couple of weeks, really, because it starts with the Masters, which are the vets, the age group categories, right up to 65 to 70 tier-olds. And, uh, and then, of course, the next week, ending on the 1st of September, will be the, uh, the big guys, the elites, doing uh, downhill, as well as cross-country, the eliminator, and trials, which is uh, incredible. So it's, it's without question the biggest uh, mountain bike event, and probably the biggest cycling event we've ever hosted in this country. So from that perspective, it's going to be fantastic. From a South African perspective, I mean, the entries are incredible, particularly in the age groups, uh, if we look there. I mean, they are, you know, obviously it's it's a big opportunity for everyone to do it. The national champions have been crowned. They'll be racing in their national jersey. So I have little doubt that in the age group categories, we will win medals there for sure. Um, looking at the elites, which includes the under-23s and the juniors, they'll be racing in the, in the second week. Um, in the elite, the top end, unfortunately, the tragic death of Barry Stund has robbed us of a, of a real medal chance. Um, but Philip Bass has been going well in the World Cups. He's, he's just on the outside. You know, he's, 
He's he's a top twenty contender. He had a had an unfortunate ripped tire uh, this last uh, weekend in Spain, so he he dropped right out of contention. But I don't think he's a medal contender. If, a good result for him would be you know if he can get into the top fifteen, top twenty. But I think our real hopes lie in the under twenty threes, both in the women and the men. Candice Nietling and Mariska Strauss amongst the women. Candice, both of them are, are, are missing it in the top ten of the World Cups, and in the uh, under twenty three men, Raw Cruiser. James Reed and Brendan Davids. Brendan Davids is an outstanding year. He was overseas last year. Rourke's racing for an international team. And uh, Orange Monkey Cannondale is called. And he's also racing inside the top 10, top 15 of the uh, riders in the under-23 category World Cup. So I think therein lies our big chances in the cross-country. Downhill, of course, there's only one name, and that's Greg Minard. So big pressure on him, and he knows it. Um, you know, he, he, every time he goes and races in Maritzburg, it's massive pressure. But he somehow thrives on that, and that's what, what, what really fires him up. And it is a great opportunity. I mean, I've chatted to, to quite a few guys in the build-up to this that, that are going and, and competing, and every single one has said to me that it's just such an amazing opportunity to race on home soil. And, and how much of an advantage is that home ground sort of... Well, it, it's as much an advantage as you want to make it. The course is open now, what are we, nearly two and a half weeks before the event starts. People can go down there anytime they like and ride the actual course. As it has been laid out, it's marked. Nick Flores has been doing a great job with the cross country. Nigel Hicks with the downhill. They're all there, so you can go and ride it. And no question, every route around the world is different. And if you can go and spend a day, two days, whatever it is, riding that course, the, the, um, uh, the drop-offs, the jumps, and those rock gardens are horrific, particularly in the elite category. But it's not them you're really thinking about. I, I, I think the age group guys who will see something they've never seen before, so they really have to get along there. Ride it, practice it, get it, get to know what it's about. And I think that's a massive advantage. It'll, you can embed it in your mind, you can, you can visualize it, and, and really use that to your advantage on race day. Yeah, and especially, I mean, you talk about those age groupers. If they were racing internationally, it's very difficult for, for them. They've got full time jobs, they, they work for a living to go over three, four weeks before to check that, that what's going to happen and, and what the course is like. But here, this is it. They can and go down and, and absolutely. do it. Absolutely. And, and what a chance. I mean, you've got it's an amazing to see the people who have entered. Um, I was going through the entry list earlier today, in fact, and, and just seeing, you know, some of the people who've entered, people you, you ride with and against and whatever, and you, you meet and, you know, and they're riding the world championships in their own backyard. And there's every chance that they can win a medal. Um, yet, you know, I suppose that you do have an advantage because we're a long way away from the rest of the world. So, you know, 40 to 45s and, you know, people, you're not going to get big fields. But I, I think that in, in some of those senior groups, we've got uh, fields as much as 60 riders. Albeit that you're not going to get, you know, 50 Italians coming over, and, but you'll get the pick. Those, the, those guys from Brazil, I know they've got a big, big contingent of, of veteran riders coming over. Those sort of riders will come over. They will know what's, what this is about. And that's where the opposition will come from. But what a chance. Yeah, absolutely. And then, Gerald, I mean, a lot of people recognize your voice. Obviously, you talk about a lot of races, but, but you ride a lot yourself. Oh, I, I tell you, Brad, it, it bit me about 14 years ago, properly. And I now just try and ride as much as I possibly can, um, you know, as many events as I can. Uh, I love stage racing. For some reason, the point-to-point -point, uh, stage race and stage ride is, is, is what I just absolutely love. I have no speed in me. I've got no real uh, competitive bone in me. So I just like to get out there and ride. And there is little doubt um, that South Africa have... 
um, other leaders in stage racing and in, in, in fact in staging mountain bike events. You just need to go to one of those MTN uh, marathon series events. They are world class from every respect, from course to uh, uh, logistics to race village setup, everything. It is absolutely world class. So um, let's hope that all of that comes back to roost in, in, in the world champs and we get people who produce medals. Well, well, let's talk about that. I mean, with, with what you do for a living, you get to go to all these races. No, I'm not riding. <laughs> <laughs> but what, like, if, if you had to put races on, on your bucket list or somebody listening to this, give us, give us some, some of the best races in, in this country. Obviously, the Epic's up there. It's just yeah, because I mean, of what it is. I think the, there's tons of Yeah, others. I mean, the Epic is, we, we know what the Epic is, and it's become an international mm-hmm. brand, and, and, and it's something that I suppose every mountain bike will want to do. But I think that, that doesn't uh, really, it doesn't uh, focus on what this country really has to offer. I mean, at the Wild Coast, you've got something called the Amana Wild Ride, which is a very small um, select group of riders every year who can ride it in July, four days up the coast of the Wild Coast. You, you, you only can ride one kilometer from the coast. You cannot go further inland, um, and there's no marking, so you have to make your way through it. Of course, the uh, Ned Bank signing to see is, is the biggest stage race in the world. Three events back-to-back. Uh, emulating that is uh, the F&B Wines to Wales down on the Western Cape. Again, three events back-to-back, all with huge fields and sensational riding. Uh, fantastic there. The uh, Old Mutual Joburg to see, nine days. Um, so that's a massive ask to take nine days off work. But I promise you, if you're a mountain biker, a true mountain biker, the Joburg to see for me is the one you want to do because it, it is a true journey through South Africa from Johannesburg down to Scottborough, farmers um, through through cattle and maize and sheep and uh, sugar and forests and everything. It really is a, a true journey that, that uh, I just love doing every year. Doozy to see down the route to the Doozy Canoe Marathon. Then there are all the one-day races around the country and the, the single track, I suppose we, we all get a bit hung up on the single track thing, but it is what you know the sort of real mountain biker likes to test himself on, and and every race you know gets sort of measured on how much single track they do and and how much how, how good that single track was. The Lowfeld Quest in the Pumalanga area, um, I, I could go on. Um, the, the, the Nedbank Tour de Tuli is a ride, not a race, that takes place Botswana, Zim. Um, and that part of the world, which is uh, an opportunity to ride in Big Five country. Elephant charges happen every year. Groups get charged, but thankfully nothing serious has happened. Um, so those are you know, just some of the events that, that uh, you can ride. But I, you know, I think there are about seven to 800 uh, mountain bike races a year around uh, the country. You know, that's how many weekend yeah. in, in the various provinces. Pick and choose, and you don't have to train yourself silly for them. You know, epic, yes because it is just a, something different. But these other events, you can get by as a weekend warrior and still enjoy them. And you know, if you're not too worried about finishing in the back third of the race and, and having, having fun, if you, you, know, you ride, the more you ride, the faster you'll go and the better you'll get. But uh, um, you know, it's not something you have to commit massive hours to and, and, and bring your family along too. Then, then they all get involved as well. So, yeah, it's an it's a incredibly um, uh, fast-growing sport, as you know now, and, and, and uh, it's something that I think has captured South Africa's imagination. Yeah, Gerald, I mean, I love chatting to you because you've just got such passion about the sport <laughs> as well, and every time we, we chat, we talk about the rides that you do at yeah. home down, down in the Western Cape. Tell us some of your favorite trails to, to ride close to home. Yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky. I mean, I moved to Stellenbosch about three years ago, and I... And I I moved to uh, live within about four kilometers of Yonkershoek, and uh, Yonkershoek is one of the finest uh, mountain bike areas in, in the country. It's a, 
it's a sort of valley that ends. You can't, you know, you go, it's a U-shaped valley, if you like, but uh, they're forestry and nature reserve uh, trails. And there's a big commitment by the cycling mountain bike community down there, backed by specialized who have an office down there, who, um, and they're building trails, you know, and putting in signage. The trails have been going for years there, but um, it is sensational. Um, there's, within a sort of, 10-minute ride from my house. I've got that. I've got Eden and a place called the G-Spot, uh, just above Stellenbosch University and, and, and that part of the world. And then there's Botteray Hills. There's Tukai in Cape Town. Uh, the Tigerberg Valley, sounds, Tigerberg Mountain Bike Club. There are heaps and sounds, heaps. Sounds horrible. Hey, it's terrible. <laughs> but you know what? I live in Stellenbosch. I work in Johannesburg. I spend a lot of time in Joburg. And I still get a thrill out of riding up and down the spray to, or going out to Northern Farms or to uh, for Carlins, wherever it is. So there's riding everywhere and uh, I've just uh, done the doozy to see two day ride down from Maritzburg to Durban along the, the, the route of the doozy canoe marathon and they are spending, they've got some 300 people working full time in that valley area to build trails. They've got trail centers. They've got places you can you know, drive down, park your car and ride. You can ride guided or not. It's incredible. Along the Ananda Dam, four or five kilometers of custom-made single track right on the edge of the dam. Um, down in the Drakensberg, the, the Bergen Bush is just the, probably one of the best mountain bikes. The, the drop-off the escarpment. Every, everyone who arranges a race seems to, to, to be challenged by the next guy who's put on a race to do something better. Not, not harder, necessarily, or, or tougher or further or whatever, just a better experience. Mm. And I think that's what's making us so good here is that we've got this competitive element with across our sporting culture, and it's so the farmers are using that competitive element in developing trails and events that are better than the oak next door mm. in a friendly manner because they, the, the riders are having such a great experience. So I think that's what it's all about. But we are, we're just so lucky. I mean, we live in an amazing place, and, and the climates are so conducive to being outdoors. And, and to be honest, I mean, I know I'm biased, and you'll probably agree with me, but we live in the most beautiful country in the world. No question. Um, you know, I. I, I was in Perth briefly earlier this year, and I popped in you know, as, a, as a as a mountain bike tragic would do. I pop into cycling shops wherever they are, or cycling tragic if you like. And um, I, I looked in the shops in Perth, and and for every um, one mountain bike, there was sort of twelve uh, road bikes. And it's a complete converse in this country, and that is solely to do with the fact that we live in this country that is absolutely given to 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 mountain biking, and and. To see this country from the back of a, or on a mountain bike, for me, there is no better way. You get into areas that you would never go, even hiking. You would, you know, you would take four days to do what you do in one day on a mountain bike. So, um, I think thanks to, and it must go back to thanks to a guy like Kevin for Mark who had the foresight to to set up the epic, mm. and so flowed the things like uh, Glen Orsani to see, and so all the other events just mushroomed mm. around the around the country absolutely absolutely Jeez. Gerald I love chatting to you about it I'd love to catch up with you again here on absolutely. Mountain Bike Talk SA in the future really appreciate your time and Brad I just want to say anyone who you know the people who are listening the world championships in Peter Maritzburg if you I mean you, you don't have to be a rider just get there mm. the vibe the, the, it, it is truly like nothing else you've, you would have experienced and and uh, you have to get along there it's not expensive and just be there even for a day or the weekend or whatever. And it's going to be a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Absolutely. The chances yeah. of it happening here no, in sure. South Africa again in our for lifetime, sure. very, yeah. very soon. Absolutely. So, yeah. Spot on. Gerald, thank you. Cheers. Yes. 
Well, last week on Mountain Bike Talk SA, we, we chatted to a sports psychologist and, and looked at uh, the, the medical side of psychology and how that affects your, your mountain biking. It was a fascinating chat. If you, if you haven't listened to that, I'd seriously suggest going back and, and downloading that episode. But this week, I wanted to touch on the nutrition side of things, and it's an absolute pleasure to have Carleen Smith on uh, the show this week. She used to work with the Sports Science Institute down in Cape Town, now based in Johannesburg in, in private practice. Carleen, thank you so much for joining us on the show this week. Thanks. It's good to be here. Colleen, you, you've got a, a very big interest in, in sports nutrition and uh, a bit of mountain biking to, to, to put along with that. And it's, it's quite, quite interesting if, if you look at nutrition and a mountain from a mountain biking perspective as opposed to, to other sports, maybe just normal road cycling or, or, or running and that sort of thing. It's very different in the sense that a lot of times on a mountain bike, you can't really put stuff in because you, you may be going down some hectic uh, single track or, or maybe you're climbing this massive mountain so you've got to be very deliberate about what you do from a nutrition point of view don't you yes no definitely and i think what happens often is you you tend to forget about your nutrition because there's a lot of other things to concentrate on um i know some of my athletes actually time their watches to go off so that they know that they don't forget about the nutrition side because there's so much else that they need to concentrate on I'm actually glad you say that because I do that and I thought I was about the only one who was a bit OCD who was like every 45 no, no, minutes. No. It's so good to hear I'm not alone. <laughs> no, that's what happens. What's the sort of, is there a rule of thumb of, of, of sort of how often you should be doing something like whether it be uh, a carbohydrate drink or, or maybe something to eat? Is there a sort of fixed time rule or, or how, is, it, is, it, is it that easy to sort of put a formula together? Um, one can. I think what what is very important is that whatever you want to do in a race, you have to try it out in training. And um, if that's a, one thing that anyone remembers is you have to practice in training. It's not going to happen on a race if you haven't done it in training. So um, you have to find what works for you. Some people feel it's better to do small amounts more frequently then, because then if they do miss a feed or, uh, you know, because of a uh, hectic train, um, to, like terrain, then it's not as much that they have to make up. Others feel more comfortable only having something every 45 minutes. Um, but the rule of thumb is, is depends a lot on how long you're going out. So if it's a two-hour cycle, you need less per hour than when you're going out on a four- or six-hour ride. Um, so the rule of thumb is normally 45 to 60 grams um, on the longer rides and maybe a little bit less on the shorter rides. Okay. And and is the reason for that, I mean, I'm I'm no expert, is, is the reason for that is because if you're doing a shorter one, you can always replenish your, your sort of fuel stores once you're off the bike? Yes, and your fuel stores that you started with is also still still there, okay. so there's enough. Um, I do know that some of the guys on the Epic, etc., go up to 90 grams of carbohydrates an hour. The guys that go up to 120, which is extremely high, um, but they train on it so they get used to it. So I would obviously not recommend you start on the high amounts. You start on the lower amounts and you build up because it's got a lot to do with your gut. Um, yeah, if you if you ingest too much carbohydrate, there's an increased risk of gastrointestinal discomfort, so nausea, bloatedness, 
um, heartburn, even maybe um, a runny tummy. It's less prevalent with your cyclists, but it does happen if you if you're not used to it. And, and that's probably exactly why you say you want to train it beforehand. Exactly. I mean, it's it's all yeah. it's all good and well. You put in the K's for for a big sort of race, and then then you go and blow it because you haven't haven't done or you've you've tried something new nutrition wise on race day. Exactly, and it's twofold. The one side is all, is is that you train your gut to get used to the product, so you don't use anything new or different on the day. Um, so if you know what is the sponsor, it's also sometimes good to train on what is available, so you don't have to carry everything up. Because obviously, with mountain biking, your you know your um, kilograms of what you carry with you is quite important. Um, and the second part of it is it improves your training session. Um, and you get better training adaptations if you train um, better fueled and that you train feeling better. Yeah, you, you probably get better results with regards to, to sort of uh, the way your body responds during the session, but you also probably recover a lot quicker if you feel yes, properly during that definitely. ride too. So, Yes, and there's immune benefit as well. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely. Look, you don't want to, if you're going out for 45 minutes, you don't necessarily need to take more than just water. There's some evidence that rinsing your mouth with a carbohydrate drink, um, so literally spitting it out afterwards, might work for shorter races, like under an hour. Um, but there's, it's, there's quite a bit of research still needed to, to work out if that really works. Yeah, it's interesting you say the 45 minutes you don't anything more than water. I think a lot of people make that mistake, especially when they get into into mountain biking as a sport and they, and they want to use it maybe as a, as a way to lose weight, that they go out and, and they'll they'll take two bottles full of carbohydrate drinks and they're only out for maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, and they, they, they're putting those bottles down and, and they're probably putting more calories into their system than they're actually burning on that ride. So they wonder why they don't lose weight and that could be one of the major contributing factors, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, what happens after you've gone out for a ride? You want to go have breakfast with your mates and you kind of treat yourself with a nice big fried breakfast because you've deserved it. And what happens is you've just put back um, not only all the calories that you've burned, but more. Um, so there's, there's actually evidence that looked at um, behavioral changes when people start training more and they actually do start eating more. Um, because they they think they can, and then they don't lose weight. Some people even gain weight. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. Colleen, in, in the also, I mean, a lot of a lot of sort of weekend warriors don't really put much thought into what they're putting into their body in the build up to to or not even into a race, but but just generally. So they'll they'll do their training, but they're not really too concerned about what they're eating and mm. and and maybe for breakfast and that sort of thing. You can really improve your performance by just just keeping a, a really good eye on your diet. Am I correct? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, we mentioned weight weight loss, weight management, losing a bit of extra um, kilos if you have to lose. That's obviously going to affect your performance. Um, but it's also what you put in is what you're going to get out. And and if you are not eating correctly, every training session is going to be that much harder um, and your body's going to take that much longer to recover. So you can actually, by eating better, you can train that much more. You can train a lot more effectively, not necessarily just more, but also just um, smarter. Um, and I mean, how many people often get sick before a major race, 
Um, and then, you know, all that hard work's gone because they've got a, a flu um, or more serious illness. And your your diet is very much linked in endurance sport with immune function. Um, so those are a couple of things that can improve, but it's also you know, your, just your general health. Um, you can't compensate for a bad diet by exercising more. Yeah, and, and you also can't out-train a bad diet. So it doesn't matter how hard you're training. If, you, if you're eating junk, it's, you, you're kind of defeating the point. But it's funny you mentioned the weight loss side of things and, and, and how, how losing a bit of weight can, can drastically improve your performance. I always laugh when, when people are, are talking about getting a new bike and it's, oh, it's two kgs lighter than, than the bike I'm mm. currently on. And, and if you actually just think about it, how difficult is it to lose five k's? It's, <laughs> it's not that difficult. And it doesn't cost you an extra 20 thousand rand in bicycle exactly. so exactly. so often people sort of miss that that just yeah. losing a couple of extra k's will, will increase the, the way you or, or, or improve the way you ride so so much Alina, I wanted to just touch base today just as a general sort of tach, uh, chat with regards to sort of the importance of nutrition and, and 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 a couple of basics on what you can do I really appreciate your time today. I'd love to have you on again, and, and maybe we can delve a bit deeper with regards to, yes. to maybe looking at, at what somebody can do in the build-up to a race specifically, and then, and then maybe looking at specific race strategies, and then at maybe a later stage recovery and that sort of thing, all with regards to diet, if, if, you, if you're cool with that. Yes, perfect. That would be great. Colleen, thanks for chatting to us today. I really do appreciate it. Before you go, though, if somebody listening to this wants to get hold of you uh, for a bit of advice or, or maybe they want to come and see you with regards to, to sorting their nutrition out on the mountain bike, how can people get hold of you? Um, the easiest to probably pop me an email. It's carlines at gmail.com. Um, otherwise, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is Carlene, capital M-S. Um, otherwise, my details are also on the Sports Science website. Perfect. What I'll do as well is I'll pop all those details on the Mountain Bike Talk SA website too. So if somebody wants to, to find them, they can just check out the show notes for this episode of Mountain Bike Talk SA and they can get hold of you that way. Thanks again for your time. Really do appreciate it. Great. I love chatting to, to a whole bunch of interesting folk here on Mountain Bike Talk SA on a regular basis. Just people who, ordinary people who have done extraordinary things. And, and one of those uh, is a guy by the name of Kevin Davies, the author of a book called Freedom Rider, 10,000 kilometers by mountain bike across South Africa. Welcome onto the show, Kevin. Thanks for your time today. Good, thanks. Kevin, tell me a little bit about that journey. I mean, 10,000 Ks, it's, it's, it's a hell of a lot of riding. What, what was the sort of the, the thought process leading up to it? How long did it take you? And, 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 and then obviously the book came out of the whole journey. Yes, well, there was no plan to start with. I just um, had done a ride in the south of France with my wife and just really loved the experience of traveling around, you know, taking things in kind of as, as you go along. Uh, then what had happened is um, I heard of a, um, a trail that had been set up in South Africa, and that's the Freedom Trail, which starts in Peter Maritzburg and finishes in uh, Paul on the Cape in those days. That's about 2,300 k's. And I started riding sections of that. That's about 2006, uh, the ride to Rhodes. And then the next year I came back and ro rode the whole trail, um, 2,300 k's. And by then I was hooked. So... Um, I began ex uh, exploring further to uh, develop uh, the trail up to um, uh, up the Drakensberg to um, Bite Bridge, and eventually rode that in one single ride from Bite Bridge to Cape Point, three and a half thousand k's, and that's really what the book is about—that kind of journey. 
Gee, that sounds amazing, Kevin. I mean, that that journey, that three and a half thousand from Bite Bridge to, to Cape Point, how long did that take you? That took 30 days, um, so about 120 kilometers a day. Uh, bike packing in the sense that I'm, I'm self-contained. Uh, you know, I have a, a, a bivy bag with me, and I, I did sleep out a couple of nights. Um, but generally, I'm staying in B&Bs and stuff, and I'm riding solo. I'm unsupported, and... Um, um, I'm, I don't have any other riders with me. So two of my major rides were like that, which I think is ultimately the real kind of experience where it's you, the bicycle, and you know the mountains, and obviously the people you meet along the way. Yeah, and speaking of the people along the way, I think that's probably one of the, the most fascinating things about South Africa is just our, our diversity of, of people. Uh, tell, tell us a couple of, of anecdotes. Like, Who was the strangest person you met on that journey? I suppose the you know you do come across um, strange people or different people. Um, the one thing is that you know there's a popular view that South Africa is quite unsafe, but in these ten thousand kilometres, I've never been threatened or attacked in any way, or you know there's no nothing gets near. In fact, the opposite is the case because you'll meet people late in the afternoon and uh, you know they'll invite you to stay over and you or you can literally pitch in cases that you know nightfall and introduce yourself to a farmer or you know a villager and literally you are invited in um, to come and stay so it's a terrific way of getting to to know people uh, there is I mean there are lots of stories but I mean at one time um, uh, with a group of people this is not on the solo rides uh, we were misted out, and it was very cold, and uh, you know we were taken in by uh, this Basutu chief, and um, tremendous kind of hospitality, which is sort of deep in the culture because the the terrain is so inhospitable that if you get lost, you know you're talking about basic death, you know. So um, the, the people open their doors, and you can come in, and and they'll feed you, and you know in the morning you go on your way again. Yeah, it's, I think that's probably one of the greatest things about South Africa. And you, you talk about the, this, that people have got this thing that South Africa is so unsafe. Obviously, you need to be careful. But uh, the, the funny little story is my dad's actually the last few months been cycling across Spain and, and, and the last couple of weeks has been in France. And he actually had his bicycle stolen in Marseille. So <laughs> yeah, read, well, read I, into I that what you like. I can't report anything but. similar in South Africa. <laughs> there you go. I mean, clearly, you know, and part of good trail design and part of the book is, is like working good trails out and stuff. And uh, part of good trail design to me is actually staying away from where people are. So if an area is, is highly populated, it's not really a place that trail cyclists want to go. But at the same time, of course, you if you are riding solo, you want to have stops that you can come into a town and maybe find a B&B or buy some supplies, you know, to keep you in a way. So it has to be kind of a... A mix, but but purposely, uh, the the design of the trails is to stay away from large populated areas. And tell me a little bit about the book. Obviously, it's it's a, a, an anecdote of of your journey, but but tell us a little bit more about it. Well, it it kind of documents this whole story, but beyond uh, what I found is that I, I thought I'd known a lot about the country, and I uh, you know I have visited most of the country, but. The trail riding is taking me to places that you know I really didn't have any idea about, and so I started um, realizing, in fact, how little I knew about the story of South Africa. So I started, and also quite frustrated with sort of recent accounts, and I started reading more and more into the the depth of the history, to go back to first-hand accounts, 
you know, I would say back as far as Jan van Riebeck, but in fact even further before there were settlers here. And at the same time, look at the story that's not written, the one that's sort of painted in, in rock caves and so on, look at the ethnology. And, and so the, the book um, includes a lot of that, includes a lot of, of the anecdote and the history and, and the making of the country, which is obviously one which is a, a, turb- a turbulent history. And, you know, there's, there's, this country, there's not many people who haven't fought one another at one time or the other. Um, so it, it is a story of conflict. Um, but I suppose in the post-Truth uh, and Reconciliation South Africa, this is an opportunity to go and discover the story anew. And that's a very, very important part of the narrative of, of the book. Brilliant. And, and if folks want to, want to sort of find it and, and read it, where can, can they get hold of a copy? It's in the bookstores, like exclusives. It's available directly from the publisher, which is Jukana, uh, and that is uh, jukana.coza. Or it's also available as an ebook, where you go to uh, a site like I'm not sure it's Amazon, but there are a few on the web where you can download the book as a, as an ebook. Kevin, what I'll do as well is I'll go and find it online, and I'll I'll pop a, a couple of links up on on our website as well. So if folks are listening to this and they want to access the book. Uh, what I'll do is I'll pop them on the show notes for this. So just go to mountainbiketalk.co.za forward slash two, and I'll pop them up there as well. Kevin, tell me, give us some advice. I mean, I I listen to stories like this, and it's I think a lot of people go, you know what? I would love to to sort of take a month or, or two months off and just go and 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 do like an unsupported sort of track. Give, give us some advice for someone who's thinking along those lines. How do you go about planning a trip like this? I suppose it is quite good to start with a mini trip, you know, and actually test your equipment and see what the requirements are. And so, but I, I, I would I would do short trips before thinking about a long trip. You know, um, my book has a lot of routes in, and um, then then you're encouraged to go and get maps over and above that. You know, GPS is fantastic, but it has its limitations. You know, if you run out of battery power, for instance. So my own view would be make sure you can read maps and have maps with you and don't rely on the electronic devices because some of the, the places you go to are really remote and you can get lost and, you know, you can injure yourself and so there is an element of danger. So GPS tends to be like a nice tool but, you know, make sure you can navigate with the sun and, you know, maybe make sure you understand all of that kind of stuff. And um, I'm saying that there's websites as well uh, which give you sort of tips and people post their solutions, what kind of gear they carry with them, what kind of bikes they're on, and people chat in forums there and ex- exchange tips about, you know, torches and lights and, you know, all the kind of stuff that you need. Sounds amazing. And then, Kevin, what's, what's next on the cards for you? What's in the pipeline? Well, I've just done a non-stop ride because uh, I'm quite interested in the endurance story and I'm quite interested in understanding, you know, what the limits of, of human endurance are. And uh, this is a, another theme in the book. Um, so I've just done a 600K ride from Johannesburg, in fact, Heidelberg, to Sedona Bay. Um, and that was, uh, it took 63 hours, all off-road, 8,000 meters of ascent. So 63 hours in total. And of that, I was asleep for two and a half hours uh, added together. So it, it's, it's a long, long way on very, very little sleep. And it's just to see how the human body, you know, how your body reacts to that level of stress. 
And the interesting thing to me is that at my two tightest times, uh, I took uh, once uh, two 10-minute sleeps, okay, and woke up completely refreshed and as could carry on, you know, as though I hadn't been cycling at all. So um, it's quite phenomenal what depth of, of ability we have within us, you know, that we sort of... We never tap, actually. You know, that sounds that sounds phenomenal, actually. Kevin, and online, uh, are you online? If folks want to sort of touch base with you, I know you are on Twitter. Uh, anywhere yeah, else? Are Twitter you on... is probably the easiest. Okay. That's Freedom Rider ZA at Freedom Rider ZA. Brilliant. I'll pop that Twitter handle up on on our website as well. Kevin, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, your journey sounds fascinating, and and yeah, hopefully we can touch base soon. Very good. Thanks for the call. Hard to believe it's another episode of uh, Mountain Bike Talk SA done and dusted. I look forward to putting the next one together for you. If you have any questions or if there's perhaps guests you'd like us to interview here on the show, you can pop us an email, podcast at mountainbiketalksa.co.za. That is podcast at mtbtalksa.co.za. Follow us on Twitter if you wouldn't mind, Uh, mtbtalksa. That's where you can find us or you can do the same on Facebook as well. And if you are downloading these on iTunes. If you haven't subscribed to uh, these podcasts on iTunes yet, please do. And while you're at it, if you wouldn't mind just uh, popping a review, if you really enjoy the show, uh, tell us what you think of it. And uh, yeah, it just helps other people uh, find the podcast as well and helps us grow the numbers. And also, if you know of anybody, perhaps training partners who would uh, really enjoy this content, I'd really appreciate it if you could help spread the word uh, just to to let people know that this podcast is out there and we're trying to grow the sport as a whole because obviously uh, the more people riding mountain bikes, the better races we get and and that sort of thing. So uh, from myself, Brad Brown, have yourself a brilliant week. I look forward to catching up with you again same time next week until then cheers